Hello everyone, it's Friday the 24th of November and welcome to episode 182 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. We're heading over the Irish Sea today to assess the situation for Irish dairy farmers and ask whether we could see any of what's happening there here in the UK. Back in September, the Irish Minister for Agriculture, Food and Marine, Charlie McConlog, confirmed that the EU Commission outlined that it will not revisit its current decision on Ireland's nitrates derogation, which is due to expire on the 1st of January 2026. Chair of the Irish Farmers Association Dairy Committee, Steve Arthur, has said that Irish dairy farmers are left with a large drop in their income because of the incoming changes in nitrate limits. What is the situation like on the ground? What does it really mean for Irish dairy? Might we see a similar situation in all parts of the UK soon? Wales, of course, already has stringent nitrate measures. To discuss this, Steve Arthur joins us from Ireland. As already said, Steve is the chair of the Irish Farmers Association Dairy Committee and a dairy farmer in County Wicklow. We're also joined by Emma McAvoy, who is a consultant with Kite based in Wiltshire and working across the Southwest and the Midlands, specialising in business management and environmental consultancy. And we're also, of course, joined by our podcast producer and senior consultant at Kite, Becky Leach, and as always, everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. Chris, let's go over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week? And how was AgriScott as well? Oh, AgriScott was great. Yeah, it's one of my favourite shows. Um, yeah, loved it. Saw a fair few people. Had a pretty decent chin wag at the Kite uh, uh, Dairy Hub session. So, yeah, I think we all pretty had good. a pretty good time. Well, I'm not bringing you my report from AgriScott today. I'm bringing you my report from AHDB House and specifically their humane resources department uh, hang on chris isn't it isn't it the human resource department not the humane one well it isn't as far as i'm concerned i've never heard anyone say that ahdb treats their staff inhumanely um so as far as i'm concerned it's the humane resources department uh, oh, and a shout out to everyone working in this area. Not an easy job, I uh, should imagine. Anyway, AHDB's Humane Resources Bods will be crowing this week because the organisation has just announced the appointment of a new chief executive and none other than a Mr. Graham Wilkinson of Isle of Foods fame. What a fabulous catch that is for AHDB. Because if anyone absolutely loves working with farmers and understands them, it's Graham. The bloke's bonkers, if you ask me. You know what they say. Never work with children, animals or farmers. Quite right. So there's yet more big boots for Arla to fill. Another changing of the guard to come with his role. As for Mr. Graham, well, congratulations to him. But what do I think about his new job? Cue the music, lads.
Yes, Graham has gone from doing an almost impossible mission of keeping all the farmers happy all over Europe to a definitely mission impossible job of trying to keep all UK farmers happy across all sectors. Well, apart from horticulture, but they only grow vegan food, so they don't count. (laughs) But I guarantee you this. If Tim Rycroft was the invisible man, and he was, then Graham will be the opposite. He's not afraid of standing up in front of grumpy farmers and making his case. He will be visible and accountable and will want to affect change. Whether the procedures and the structures and the strictures in AHDB and government will allow him to change things as fast as he wants is another matter we will see. And so to the markets, the GDT, I think, expressed the general directionless view of the market in that the index didn't move at all. So very neutral this week. But there was some good news for Arla Farmers in that its SMP increased by a very useful £100 to its highest price since March. Uh, That was about all of the good news there. And we really could do with the next auction being up again to continue the momentum of the last couple of months. In Europe, I think the Mexican standoff between buyers and sellers on the traded market carries on. I'm now getting reports in that buyers see lower prices coming down the line and are delaying their buying decisions for quarter one. Uh, Most of the buying is apparently done for 2023, so we might be in for a quiet end to the year and start of next year. So like the GDT, it's a flat picture. Um, There's no move on butter from the traders or on cheddar or gouda, but Mott's is up a touch. So if we've any Leprino or dairy partners, listeners, then there's something to take away there. Uh, No change on skim powder, no change on whey. We've got the Dutch Dairy Board, which normally lags the spot traded market, did increase its butter prices again this week. It was up by 20 euros to 5,600 euros. And that means we've got 12 weeks of rises on the bounce. Uh, German butter was up as well. Uh, powders about the same uh, on a milk price basis uh, we're now at 35 pence bar the shouting on the european prices which is a it's a positive compared to what we have had uh, cream did rise in europe this week to around uh, £2.50 to £2.60 but there are reports it may have hit its uh, peak with a lot of the continental christmas make Uh, probably done and dusted. In the UK, it's anything up to £2.10, £2.15 for exports. Uh, Not a great week on the futures either, but a dip to fair bit, down €150 in January, €90 in Feb and €50 in March. Uh, So the average is slightly down on last week. Uh, Because there were some gains from April onwards. Uh, The average is 5,750 euros. Skim also down 
And those reductions have taken last week's 38 pence uh, forward price for May off the board. It was there last week, slightly under 38 this week, and still nothing anywhere in sight that would put uh, 40 pence on the board. Uh, so no major change in cheese this week, but some positives on the EEX uh, exchange with curd, mild and gouda all over 4,000 euros or 3,500 sterling. And we haven't seen that this year. Another plus there. Uh, mozzarella slightly higher uh, than it was. And Stonex's continue to tick up its uh, cheese futures. Uh, so cheese on a rising plane there still, but only churning out a milk price of uh, 36p in quarter one, 37 pence quarter two. Uh, finally, spot milk is 39.5 to about 40.5 delivered. So that's the report. Finally, finally, don't forget it's Black Friday today. So as a special podcast offer, I'm knocking 10% off my first novel. Get that. It's a horror story about a zombie army of farm assurance inspectors marching across the dairy lands of Britain. So I think that should be a bestseller, don't you, Will? So get your orders in quick. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Um, Steve, welcome to this show. Uh, can Hello, you, Will, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, can you introduce yourself and your farm in County Wicklow, first of all, and tell us about your role on the IFA Dairy Board? And thanks, Will, and thanks for having me. Um, I live here in Wicklow, which is on the east coast, just south of Dublin. Uh, we're looking straight across at the Welsh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as, we, as we used to say in Ireland, the Welsh are the Celts that couldn't swim. We are, yeah, I often, <laughs> often say that. <laughs> yeah, and, um, so we're up in the hill. We farm 39 hectares. You know, our yard is at 600 feet. We rise to about 800 feet. And we milk about 100 cows, between 95 and 100 cows is kind of where we are. We're just trying to see how the derogation territory. Um, Wicklow would have a good tradition of winter milk. We would have a strong tradition of liquid milk, which is all year round supply. And we were all, re- all year round, we were about 70% winter milk, but we're going back to about 20% winter milk. The costs of producing winter milk is just, it's just ridiculous now where it's gone to. So we made that change a few years ago and um, we're sort of hanging on to the last 20. <laughs> and um, we started milking here. I farm with my wife, Mairead. She farms in partnership with, ship with me. I have a daughter who's in agriculture college at the moment. She's going to come home and farm, which we're very proud of. And I have a son who is studying history and literature and geography um, in Limerick University. Basically, you have to be dead three or four hundred years for he has any interest in you at all. So <laughs> that's that's kind of the mix what's going on in our family at the moment. And we're drying down at the minute. Um, it's been a very difficult year. Um, Lahorean, um, it was just hard work. We um, it's we're looking forward to New Year's Eve. I'll put it that way to you. And I think a lot of farmers in this country are. Uh, my role, um, I am the dairy chair of IFA. We have about 16,500 dairy farmers in Ireland. And I'm sort of the, the spokesman for, for them. We have about 
15,000 members of the IFA. So I speak for Dairy on Policy on milk price. Basically, I cover everything. I have, a, I have an assistant with me and a team behind me. And you name it, lands on my door from everything. Believe you me, everything. <laughs> and 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 that's what we do like and 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 as a farmer who i was a new entrant in in 1995 i started milk we've seen a lot of trials and changes and ups and downs in my duration from animal disease to financial problems we've seen everything we've seen the crash we've seen oh nine milk price drops 12 we've seen fodder shortages so you know i like to think i have a lot of vast experience in what we're seeing at the moment it's just it's it's a different world now where we are what's happening and everything's happening so quick and we'll get into that conversation later but that's kind of a synopsis what we're at and where we're from all right thank you steve emma welcome to you as well to the show can you introduce yourself and your role at kite please yeah brilliant thanks will so hi everyone yeah so i'm emma mcavoy um, and as said i work mainly across the southwest and west midlands and um, i do some business management work um, but probably at the moment, the majority of my time taken up with sustainability work. Um, so a lot of this at the moment is around carbon reduction and trying to accelerate that on a farm level. Um, but also spending quite a lot of time talking about the different regulations, compliance with these um, and really how to future proof dairy farming businesses in order to comply with these environmental regulations. Um, so obviously quite challenging at the moment. Emma <laughs> is totally underselling what she does. A poor Emma gets all the um, regulation stuff as it comes through and she eats it up and chews it out and reforms <laughs> it into something to, and then briefs all the team and makes sure you know, we're all fully up to speed on what the regulations are and what the funding opportunities are. So she's massively underselling herself there, I, I feel, <laughs> Emma. Stop being so modest. <laughs> And a podcast, yeah, first-time podcaster. Uh, Becky gets to everyone in the end. <laughs> yeah, there's nowhere to hide. Yeah, right <laughs> <at that> time. <laughs> I was just going to come in on what um, what Chris said about um, Graham. I think uh, we were all at, um, at AgriScot when the news broke and we were, I, I think myself and Chris and both people I spoke to were pretty you know, gobsmacked. We, we all thought that if you cut Graham in half, he bleeds Arla. And I think he probably still does to a certain extent. But I was reflecting on it actually on the drive home and what positive news it is. You know, big loss for Arla, but Arla are a, a good business. They attract good people. I've, you know, the, the and, and, you know, sometimes uh, you need a little bit of renewal, don't you? But um, mm -hmm. what great news it is for the dairy industry, really, to have somebody like Graham at the helm of AHDB. And with the support then of when you look at some of the other people who are senior in the organisation now, Will Jackson, Paul Flanagan, you know, really good, strong dairy and commercial background. So, you know, as Chris says, mission, mission possible, I'm going to go with. I'm going to steal CBEX's tagline and say, I think that those boys have got it in them. I think we could be on for a good, good, you know, pretty historical 18 months, two years. Awesome. Okay. Um, Steve, you mentioned this earlier about what a difficult year it's been um, for farmers generally in Ireland and in the UK. Can you give us an overview of the milk year in Ireland and, and how it's been for dairy farmers? Yeah, I think we may go back to, you may nearly go back to 24 months to January, 12 months. It's 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 a kind of a two-side story. 
And like when you see what happened in in 2022, like milk started off and and started to climb every month. It was just climbing in twos and threes cents and farmers just and it was a brilliant year don't forget like grass grew perfect and everything it was it was just a perfect harvest like you know and we had people topping 70 cent a litre like you know and 80 cent a litre for milk last september and it's amazing when chris is talking about butter today like last september butter was making seven and a half thousand euros a ton on the orinua exchange for for our new uh, for Kerrygold butter like and compared to where we are now it's 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 just sitting around five and a half and struggling like and like the big um downside last year was the fixed price scheme a lot of farmers had bought into fixed price scheme i don't know whether you practice fixed fixed price schemes in in the uk but we have these fixed price schemes offered and farmers bought into these at two years, three years, and one year uh, contracts at 31 cent, where our average milk price for the previous 10 years would run about 32, 33. And the 31, which are solids, you were getting them up into 35 cent. And all of a sudden, you were getting 35 cent for your milk last year. And market milk was making 55 cent and 60 yeah. cent. And it just turned into a, believe you me, it was a nightmare. We spent a whole year renegotiating contracts and, and getting people through it. And don't forget, our costs went through the roof last year. Like, the cost of producing the litre milk last year broke 41 cent, like. And the Chagas figures there came out for this year is, is run at 38, 39 cent. So, you know, you know, it's just... And then... September was flying and the copes were thrown out. You know, they're f- flying back good margins back to farmers. Then January appeared and the dog in the street knew in December that, you know, this is going to be a different year, believe you me. Like, at the moment, they're ranging from 32.5 farm gate prices, 32.4 cent, like. Yeah. And, Steve, you know, can I just come in on, on the fixed prices? Um, Ireland really pioneered the fixed price milk deals. Um, you're way ahead of uh, UK, but your farmers were begging for mercy, weren't you? Because they all went wrong. That they, <clears throat> I can't see your farmers locking in again. The ones that have come out, frankly, have been pretty laughable. You know, Latelands that came about a, a month ago has been uh, was a laughably low price, certainly for the north. I'm not sure about the south. It would be similar, I would think. Uh, Turlan have just come out with 40 cents. How's that landed with your farmers? Yeah, it's amazing, right? Information meeting last January and farmers ice scheme and, and blah, blah, blah. Like, and Lakelands came with 42, 40 and 42, 42 for the winter. And farmers are looking at it, like it's only 10% where the, where the, where the fixed price fell down last year was farmers kept buying into schemes, Chris, right? And they did put in 10% of this scheme, 20% that scheme. Next month, all of a yeah. sudden, they'd eight or 90% fixed in fixed price at various levels. And that's where the damage was done. And I think the lessons learned this time around is that 20% is the max, 10% is what they're looking for. So just look at the picture where you are now. Like you take Tirlan at the moment, they offered one last week at 40. And you're at, 32.78 at the minute next january it's i i reckon it's going to be maybe july before we hit 40 cent 
But if you take a fixed price of 10%, you're on 40 straight away in the 1st of January for 10% or 20% of your milk. So straight away, you're ahead of the posse. And it's only a one-year contract. So, you know, I, I think any farmer who has the biggest driver of fixed price was matching it to farm borrowings, uh, bank debt, and they were able to, you know, use it again, again, hedge it again, bank debt. And I think, like, if you have um, a good lot of your milk going in flat, and you see 40 cents as a fixed price, you know, I think it'd be worth the punt for 10 cents or 20% maybe. But on the positive side, it shows where milk is going to go next year. We would reckon, we reckon over here that by peak next April or May, we will be hoping that it's on 40 at least. Last year was a very tricky year to judge the success or failure of a fixed pricing mechanism, wasn't it? It was absolutely... Uh, it was extraordinary it was bizarre now you know it's yeah just... whatever you had you know whether that was feed that you booked forward or fertilizer or whether it was you know selling your milk milk it was it's not really the year to judge it on is it no at least i've, part- I've participated in fixed price for about 12 years and you look at the average price that we were fixed in that was 31 to 32 i think maybe there's one year there we had some tied in at 34. But the, like, there's no rocket science to fix price here. It's, it's, it's the average price for the previous 10 years, really, if you sit down and look at it. But where the whole thing falls down, Becky, is fertilizer here, 1,000 euros a ton. Our meal, like like last year, we were paying 500 euros a ton for, for dairy ration. Our, our energy costs, my God, our energy costs is just quadrupled, like. Yeah. And that's where the whole thing fell down, like. And... You know, and and you know, and believe you me, now there's some very testy meetings with our with our with our processors because they were saying a contract to contract, like they have back to backs, and you know, and we were calling then for the the big blue chip companies like Emma was talking about sustainability, like sustainability covers a multitude, like you know, and there has been economic side to sustainability too, and and that was the argument we were putting back in, and you know. It took a lot of energy, a lot of time, but we got good results, like, and, you know, and we got farmers through it. That's all you do. You get them through it, keep them standing and get them going again, like, you know. Yeah, for sure. Steve, Ben um, gave a brief intro to the nitrates situation in the introduction, but can you give us some more detailed overview of the situation when it comes to nitrate control in Ireland and, and what action has been taken? Yeah, well, what we had a night, our nitrate action plan was. Um, see, this is where the whole problem has happened. We we renegotiated the nitrate plan two years ago, and but when it was published, there was a little line put in at the bottom that there will be an interim review, and that if the water trend doesn't start going towards improving, they're going to drop it back to two twenty. So. And like that wasn't even negotiated. It wasn't even mentioned in the original in the original discussions. So um to go a long story short, last December twelve or last January twelve months really, they said that listen, the water trend is going in the wrong direction. And and to be honest with you, I'll just give you a background on the water. I just cause you know, we have this issue here in Ireland, you know. And I'll go through that with you, but just the water trends at the moment, like you, you take the Tim League 
uh, catchment area. It's it's a, it's an experimental catchment area. They test the water every ten minutes down there. Chagas do, and they have a system set up. And like the Timmy League, I have the details here in front of me. Like it's it's in Cork, right? And the majority of the cows are in Cork. Like there's over a third of the cows in Cork alone. There's three hundred seventy five thousand cows in Cork, and there's one and a half million cows in Ireland alone. And in Timaleague area, you have 18 herds, you have 2,500 cows, and the average herd is 140 cows, the average yield is 6,100 kilos, so they're in they're in band two. So you understand what the excretion bands are, not they? Like, we have three excretion bands in Ireland here. We have the first band up to 4,500 litres, that's 80 kilos they're measured in. Then you have band two, which is 4,500 to 6,500 kilos. That's up to 92 kilos. And then band three is over 65 is 106. 85% of the cows are in band one and two. 85 six of the farms. But this Timberleague area, so you have 2,500 cows on a seven-kilometer stretch of river. And you have a, a pig, a pig on it as well and an AD digester. And they are monitoring the water there every 10 minutes through a computerized system. And it's shown up levels of four and five kilo or parts per thousand of nitrogen in the water. Right, let's go over to Holland for a minute. Their best readings is coming in at 65. And we have, this is what's driving our people mad over here. We have the second best yeah. water in Europe next to Alpine water. But we're being hammered here. We have a grass-based system that's sort of unique to Europe. We're eight to graze 300 days of the year. We're able to grow 14 tonnes of grass, dry matter per hectare, and utilise it with the nutrients that we're putting back into the ground. And we're being penalised for it. Like, And yesterday, yesterday finally put the last nail into the into the coffin. The commissioner came over and he backed up our minister. And from 1st of January, we have farmers have to start reducing cows. Um, it's about 12% reduction. Steve, other than the IFA, who's making your case? Well, actually, all ourselves and ICMSA are fighting it hard. But the problem is the science is with us on this, but the trend is stagnant, but they need an improved trend. The EPA are, are pushing against us on this. The NGOs are pushing against us. The public, if you if any of you have watched the public reading of Irish agriculture at the moment we're like dairy especially like we're the big bad boys in in the climate in Ireland at the minute like we're destroying the world like you know it's crazy the the narrative coming out of Irish media at the moment is crazy stuff like you know if if we got rid of every cow in Ireland if we got rid of every bovine animal off the island of Ireland, like it's not going to do nothing for the environment and it's going to do very little for water quality. Like when you have public sewage systems pumping in thousands of gallons per hour and the government don't seem to want to talk about that, but all they want to talk about is dairy and cut dairy. And, you know, it's it's just, you know, and we're at this now for the last two years. It's a very frustrating fight and battle to do. And like... Let's just, you know, I can tell you what the farmers are doing at the moment. Like farmers have spent on their farms to put in extra tanks. They've fenced off all waterways to put in riparian plant hedges, you know, between the water and, and for up to three meters. You know, they've done a lot of work on this. All our slurry, about 80% of our slurry now is spread through LES spreading. 
And I'd say that will go further into 90. It'll never be 100% because there's some land not suitable to carry the tankers. And, you know, we're putting the tank, we're using lower protein meals during the summer. And, you know, there's about 30 measures I could go on that change the water trucks, you know, lots of different stuff we're doing here. What gets me, Stephen, is that back in 2012, your politicians encouraged you to double the size of your herd. Right. You've done every single thing that your politicians wanted yeah. you to do in growing your dairy industry. They've led you to the top of the hill and now they've chucked you off the top. I'd even go further. They led, led us to a cliff and threw us out into the sea. That's what they've done. Um, I was actually, uh, Minister Coveney was Minister for Agriculture at that time. I, I was at a forum when he announced that we were, don't forget, we were after coming out of the Celtic Tiger and the Celtic Tiger had died at this stage. And every the country was in turmoil and they they realised that agriculture was an untapped resource in dairy especially. And they pushed us on and like farmers delivered, they they adopted the science. Like you look at what's going on at the moment. It's brilliant over here at the moment because the multi-species, the 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 clover, like farmers are really bought into science. And Irish farmers love techie stuff. They love uh, up-to-date science. They love adopting new measures. You know, the amount of clover that's gone in and multi-species, like there's a headline there on the journal there today or yesterday. The, the the use of uh, um, chemical fertilizer is dropped thirty percent to two years. Like, like I sat in Food Vision, which is the climate action with the government, and we were fighting with them. No way can we drop twenty percent? We'll destroy ourselves. But we're gone thirty percent. Like, so farmers are are able and they want to participate. So here's what I, I do say to everybody: what they're trying to do here now with us is do a handbrake turn with the Titanic. And it just can't happen. And they're not even prepared to give us time to transition into this. So it's just going to come to a halt on the 1st of January. And it's unfortunate because it's going to hit the small, medium, average farmer with a small land base. Like you go down to Cork or up to Monaghan where a lot and, and everywhere they're hit is the 50, 60, 70 cow farm on the small land base, doing a good job, breeding good cows, high-yielding cows, they're getting caught in the banding and they're getting caught in the nitrates. It's a pincher action, action and they're getting caught on both sides. Like Emma, can we bring you in here? And I mean, Steve's already mentioned some of the actions that's, that farmers have already been taking. And, and I'm, I'll be interested later on actually to hear from Steve as to what the i mean i think we, we we all know what we're thinking in terms of what the next step's going to be here but i just want some clarification from him but emma first of all uh these changes are pretty imminent um what changes will some farms need to be making here um in terms of infrastructure and other and other matters yeah so i mean as you say stephen's already mentioned some of those areas that farmers are looking at but i mean the harsh reality is that the limits on the average organic nitrogen per hectare really there's limited options i mean farmers are obviously looking at reducing livestock numbers and the other options are increasing the amount of land which you know in a lot of situations isn't possible and um, or finding somewhere to export slurry which again is easier in certain areas but in a lot of areas with a lot of livestock it's not possible and expensive to haul elsewhere um in other sort of areas of the UK, we're seeing these increasing regulations as well, but um, also with slurry storage. 
So potentially large investments or a lot of large investments required there for quite a lot of dairy farmers, I'm sure, across Ireland and the rest of the UK. And I think other infrastructure that people are looking at as well are things like separators. You know, they work well on farms. Separated solids are a lot easier to export. You've still got some of the nutrients and a lot of the nitrogen in the liquid fraction, but you can get rid of some of that that nutrients in the separated fraction a lot easier. I think over time, there's a lot of emerging technologies. There's a lot of investment going into these areas. I think at the moment, we're not there with any of them. Um, I think there's financial implications of the sort of sustainability and wider areas of concern with some of them. But I think over time, we'll potentially see sort of new technologies develop that are applicable to farms and can potentially and hopefully help with some of these areas or hopefully help. Um, finding more of a solution to to get the nutrients from slurries out and try and transport those to the areas that need. But I think that's not for the sort of immediate future, but something that's hopefully emerging down the line. Steve, what what pressure are farmers feeling now to reduce cow numbers? Yeah, just to f- follow up on what Emma was saying there, in Ireland, we're trying to adopt this policy of uh, AD digesters. We have a green element in our government and they've got it like, it's just mind boggling how ridiculous they're coming out with stuff in the government. Like they, our minister for environment, the green minister, he says that AD digesters is going to work. And and I think we've only about six or seven in the country. And we've all looked up across the border and seen how much of a failure they are in the North because the, the tariff that's been paid for anything that's coming out of heavy power or gas is not good enough. And he tells us then that we're going to export slurry to digesters. The minister even said, that, or the commissioner said that yesterday that we should transport slurry. It's quite a difference in what goes on in Europe. You can put slurry onto a truck and send it to Belgium to, or send it to, to wherever. Where in Ireland, you've, the amount of, t- we have a very small tillage sector. And it's very much located in the Mead, Kildare, west, East Wicklow, down beside the sea, and parts of Tipperary and Cork, where a lot of the cows are. There's no tillage near them, so we can't get it out of it. But just to, back to what you're asking there, Ben, like I, I have an example here in front of me of 80 cows doing a good job. I was on the farm, 39, 31.9 hectares. And to cut back on him, he's going to lose seven or 10 cows, which is going to equate to about 13,000 euros of a hit. Now, yeah. that man invested on his farm. He's put in slurry, extra storage. Like, he's about 25% extra storage on his farm to hold. So he's paying for that further investment with 10 less cows. And that's that's the big crux of the matter here, is that there's a lot of investment gone on to farms. Like, there's nearly 1.4 billion euros have been spent on dairy farms here in Ireland in the last six or seven years. And a lot of that's going to have to pay back now with less less cows on farms, really. Like, can't you just increase that, that the yields? Of sorry, the can't you just increase the yields of the cows that are left? Yeah, that is a good possibility. But then you're slipping into the higher band, then Chris, and that's going to hit you again from the other side, right? And the other thing is, like a lot, of the the more park model is is grassland production, like and minimal meal, like, and it's a kind of a like the further south you go, 
where I am now, we, we're more into a, is what you would call up here the Dublin cow. It's a bigger cow. We feed her stronger and we get more milk out of them. Where you go down south across into Tipperine, a lot, 90% of the production, um, like some of the co-ops in the country have 20% of their milk is coming off cows in band one, which is under four and a half thousand litres. So it's it's this Moorpark model. I'm sure you have heard of the Moorpark model like that. You're following the Mac curve. This Mac curve is the curve that we're going to follow that's going to deliver environmentally, sustainably and economically, I hope. <laughs> so that, that sort of 10 to 15 percent reduction, do you see that being fairly typical then? Yeah, but the biggest problem we have been, right, he has the lever in his hand now and the policy is set up we have a serious fight on our hands to hold 220 going forward that we don't end up at 170. That's that's where the game is now, is holding on to that 220 like. And the trend is going to dictate the story here. Like he said yesterday, if the trend starts to improve, there's a political appetite. But like our whole, like you take this year, you take that Tim League area. I know for a fact the current trend coming out with Tim League is is on a downward trend because they got a hundred mil hundred mil of rain down there over twenty four hours on three occasions. So naturally, you're going to have like climate has a big factor to play in this, and there's nothing that's not being took into account. Like, like you take the floods in Cork there and around Middleton there, but three weeks ago and. The, the the public service had to pump out loads of effluent and, and sewage into the river just to clear out the pumping stations. And so what's happening then, that gathers at the estuary and you have this, um, is a eutrophication, they call it, you know where the, the nitrogen and the phosphate merges and you get this algae growing and they're blaming that on the farms where we we're, our argument to them the whole time was that the estuaries has to be took out of the equation that you tested the, the catchment areas. So you could be up a river, you could have your farm perfect, you could have 30 to 40% extra storage. But the fact that the estuary is is showing uh, depreciation in quality, you are caught and you have to carry the can the same as everybody else in the river. Like It's an what's unfair system. Yeah, well, what's your view, Steve, on the public sentiment on this in terms of where it sits on... So the farmers to the politicians to the public where, where, where's where's that sitting well you see it's how, it's how the story is told like you know like i when i'm talking to farmers and, and talking to public groups i always give this image right you have to you have to put this image into your head like that like d4 is an affluent area of dublin so we do always say think of the the young mother in d4 feeding her children and it's on television about the water quality and the lady from EPA hops up and she says, the reports show that water is deteriorating Ireland, that water is bad. The language they use, but the image they send out is like even on television the other night, they had Tim O'League was on the on the farming programme. It's the equivalent to your country file. And sometimes you wonder, are they representing farmers or are they representing who? I don't know. But they weren't telling the farmer story because they had file pictures up on the screen that show green algae in the water. So back to your back to our lady that's feed the children in D4 hasn't been inside a farm. And she sees green algae on the television in the river. And she says, my God, them farmers are polluting the country like, you know. And that's that's what's being sold. And they're very good at selling that. And it doesn't matter how hard 
every time we go onto the radio, you know, language is very strong. Don't underestimate the words and the language. Like when these ladies come up and and these, uh, sorry for saying they're ladies, but everybody in DPA seems to be a lady at the minute. And they, you know, they say water's deteriorating. The language they use, and it's not deteriorating, it's steady. But the language they're using is sending very hard to turn again that like but the metrics is good uh, we do metrics on on public opinion on milk supply and it's rising like 75 percent of the people reckon that dairy farmers are doing a good job here like okay um uh, um emma we've seen uh similar action taken in wales and i'm grappling with some of that at the moment what is the likelihood that similar changes will take place across the rest of the uk as well yeah, I mean, we're seeing a lot of, of new regulations being talked about and a lot of tightening of existing regulations as well. And it's it's not something that's going to go away. I think we're seeing similar to Stephen across the UK, the same sort of messages being put out when it's not all farmers' fault. But I don't think this isn't going to go away as a result of that, unfortunately. And we're going to have to keep battling on, on with it. So, I mean, as you say, in Wales, um, really sort of, big challenges coming with nitrogen limits and slurry storage. Um, in England, I think those in an MVZ have sort of got used to those limits. But, you know, at the moment, we've got those grassland derogations available. But as over in Ireland, you know, how quickly can they suddenly decide that actually they want to tighten them up and not be available? Um, as far as I'm aware, there's no talk of that at the moment. But, yeah, it might not take long for that to proceed and go ahead if they suddenly decide that's the the way forward and um, I think we've seen a lot of other regulation being talked about and floated around so I mean the, the big one with a lot of confusion is around the slurry storage covers and um, you know DEFRA have now said that there's not going to be a need to cover unless or until new rules are brought out and that they don't expect that to be sort of any new rules that require existing stores to be covered by 2027 but it's still sort of being talked about and floated about. Um, and therefore, it gives a lot of uncertainty as what the future may hold and what farmers need to be investing in. And I think the other big area that I see sort of concern in the future is around phosphate. Um, you know, we've got them covered in England through the farming rules for water, but particularly in certain catchments, we're seeing a lot of pressure on phosphate and whether there'll be future restrictions on that, um, who knows at the moment, but it wouldn't surprise me if we don't see tighter restrictions on that. So, yeah, there's a lot of challenges around these regulations and a lot of quite serious consequences for the dairy industry if they are tightened um, and increased. Uh, and and if they are, um, you know, we know there are a lot of very, very big dairy farms in the UK, a lot of very high stocking rates. How prepared are are those farms for this? You know, it would mean some really big changes, wouldn't it? I think as ever, it's I mean, those farms are lots based on location. Those in areas where there's a significant arable area are a lot more prepared. They've got places they can fairly easily export slurry to in a lot of situations. Um, I think actually also those in sort of catchments that have had more pressure on in the last sort of 10 years, some of those farmers are more prepared. They've, on first name terms with the EA officer, they've worked with them. And actually some of those are quite up to speed compared to some of the other areas that haven't had that pressure, but are now seeing more of that pressure. 
Um, we've got a lot of farmers with insufficient slurry storage capacity, and this year is really highlighting it for a lot. Stores are filling up exceptionally quickly, and it's becoming a really high priority for a lot of farms in trying to figure out what to do. Mm. Um, but it's not just as easy as putting in a new store, as we all know, you know, planning constraints. It can be really difficult getting that planning permission in the first place. Um, and they're large investments. So, you know, tenant farmers that don't have long term security, there's a lot questioning what they should actually do at the moment and if it's worth investing um, or actually if it's the time to to leave the industry, which is really sad that there's some people considering that as a result of these sort of regulations. Um, and I think one of the other big challenges we've got is a lot of uncertainty and nothing seems to happen very quickly these sort of regulations and things have floated around but then nothing happens so people don't know what to do and I think the the sort of slurry covers has been a big element of that there's been a lot of hesitation from farmers whether to invest in stores that can have sort of practical covers on or actually whether to hold off to wait and see what this regulation does so that's caused a lot of delay in people investing I think in that area and still causes a lot of uncertainty into to what to do um, we have got some good grants at the moment so the slurry infrastructure grant round two has just opened and the online checker is open from now until mid-January um, it is sort of scored based on location so it's worth having a look if if you're in sort of a high priority area for that um, and that will fund to meet six months requirement and to cover the store so we'll take you up and above that that regulation but I think um, really sort of key at the moment for farmers is making sure they can meet that current regulation and ideally get a bit above it for that contingency and that sort of extreme weather events that we're seeing like this year with all the rainfall yeah um steve give you the final word on this and and please do remember it's a family so what would your message be to the irish government and to brussels well, sure. It, it, it's very disappointing that we have 16,500 family farms with an average herd of 85 cows doing a unique job of producing grass. Very we, like We're being told we're the most efficient and most carbon efficient producer of milk in the world. Now, if you go over to New Zealand, they say they are. We have good, strong, stringent environmental um, rules that we follow. We're doing the good job. We're putting in six and a half billion euros worth of money into the Irish economy, which equates on the multiplier by three or four or five times. And every pound that's earned on the dairy farm is spent within three miles of the farm, which is so important in rural Ireland. Like we are very rural. And it's just disappointing that our government, our MEPs and our party coalition, they've just sold us down to Swanee in this. They didn't fight for us. The, the commissioner came over. We all thought he was going to do something and listen he just came over to back up the minister. He didn't even go visit the farm. And he came out and he said, listen, we're going to stick to the rules with the with the minister. And it's very, very disappointing. And especially when the, uh, the coalition partners would have been traditionally supported by farmers. But the, pro- the problem is, and it's the same with you guys in, in the UK, the farmer vote has got so irrelevant that our voice is getting quieter and quieter and they don't want to hear us anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Well, that's all we have time for today. But a very big thank you to our guests, Steve Arthur, Emma McAvoy, Chris Walkland, and podcast producer, Becky Leach. Thank you very much for listening. Please see the show notes for more information, including our podcast disclaimer. 
We'll be back with you next week. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here. <laughs>